Hello and welcome to the Sports Shorts Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Schering, and I'm joined by my co-host, Savannah Green. Hi. Sports Shorts is brought to you by the Sport Management Program at North Dakota State University in Fargo, North Dakota. It is supported by the Department of Health, Nutrition, and Exercise Sciences and the Office of Teaching and Learning. So we are going to discuss the pay-to-play system and the history of the cost of sport participation. We will later be joined by Sophia Abel, the Athletics and Events Coordinator at the YMCA here in Fargo, to discuss creating opportunities for kids in low-income situations. We have a lot to talk about today, so let's get right into it. Pay-to-play is a phrase we'll be using a lot in this episode, so what does it actually mean? It's exactly what it says. You pay to play the sport or participate in the activity. So this would include what most of us know as activity fees or participation costs. And as we all know, nothing is free in life, and sport programs are no exception. Funding is required to provide any type of sport program, and that funding has to come from somewhere. I've definitely had experience with this growing up in, like, elementary through middle school. I was a part of like club volleyball programs and things like that. And there was obviously participation fees to that. I couldn't even tell you how much it costs, but um, it definitely wasn't that cheap. I was a part of teams that would like travel around my home state in South Dakota and things like that. And I've definitely had experience even through high school participating in varsity athletics. We had to do a bunch of fundraising to pay for things and stuff like that. So yeah, nothing really is free in life. Yeah. So it's obviously an industry that has to generate money somehow, but it can keep growing. So did you know that the youth sport industry has about 60 million participants and generates $19 billion in revenue? That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not some small scale thing we're talking about with just a little group of people that, you know, it affects some, but not a lot. That's 60 million people just from that year and there's more that we probably don't know about that you need to have funding and it has to come from somewhere but there's actually a lot of different places it can come from yeah i mean it can get their money from the government in some cases donors fundraising nonprofits, sponsorships but many organizations choose to charge fees to the participants of the program itself Yeah, I think all of us would agree that it makes sense that you have to pay for something you're going to be a part of, Mm -hmm. but it does present a unique set of challenges for the organizations and the participants. I mean, not everyone has this discretionary income that they can spend on these activities for their kids, and it can affect certain demographics and locations more than others, which we'll also talk about later. Yeah, the Aspen Institute found that Hispanic and Latino families spend the most on sport participation, followed closely by white families, and that black families spend about 35% less than that. Yeah, so talking about how much the families are spending, Savannah, do you want to take a guess on how much the average family pays for one child sport for one year? Oh, geez. I'm going to take a wild guess and say like $500. So currently, the average family pays $883 annually for one child sport. That's crazy. I would have never guessed that. (laughs) Yeah, that is a lot of money, especially just for one activity. Yeah. 
The Aspen Institute also found that parents in the wealthiest households spend about four times as much on their child's sport than the lowest income families. So that's just the average of $883. That's not counting the people who spend thousands of dollars on yeah. their children's sports. Mm -hmm. These fees can be helpful because they can create the sport programs and give funding so that they can reach more people, but it also provides barriers to a lot of kids when their families can't afford those opportunities. kind of established the current state of pay to play and what it means. How did we get to where we are today? So we're going to take a look at some of the history starting in the 1930s up until more recently. So pay to play youth sports kind of popped up in the 1930s with you see things like Pop Warner football and Little League baseball becoming more popular after public sports really took a hit during the Great Depression. So they couldn't afford to have all these public funded sports. They had to do private Things you who aren't familiar, Pop Warner football was created in 1929 by Joseph J. Tomlin, and it was used as a crime prevention initiative in Philadelphia. So it started with four teams in a league, and it later changed its name to Pop Warner after a legendary coach. So it wasn't always called Pop Warner, but that's what we know it as today. And then we also got Little League starting in the 1920s, almost 1930s to promote patriotism and good citizenship and kind of just to be another version of what Pop Warner is just for baseball. Well, after the establishment of these programs, pay-to-play programs really took off from the 1940s through the 1960s. The American Youth Soccer Organization was founded in LA back in 1964. And then moving on from that, we get to the 70s, 1972 specifically, when Title IX was passed. So up until this point, sports were really focused more on boys and there were less opportunities for girls. So Title IX made some changes to that, especially when it came to public funding and creating more opportunities and advancements for female athletes. In the 1970s, we saw this increased desire for athletic scholarships. Um, that was when a lot of baby boomers were starting to graduate high school. They wanted to continue their athletic careers and also use it as a way to further their schooling through the use of athletic scholarships. So seeing kind of where things have been from the start until where we are now, where do you think this is going to go in the future? Well, I truly see that costs are always going to be increasing with pay-to-play programs because there's a lot more opportunities and things like that. Going back to talking about when I was in club volleyball, I believe there was like one club in my hometown and in that region at the time when I was playing. So, you know, all of the girls participated in that. but. Today, we're seeing a lot more club programs. I believe there's at least three or four within the region of my hometown in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. And there's like different tiers. There's like regional teams, which will play in like the region of South Dakota. There's like Midwest teams that'll play South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota. And there's actually national teams too that will play all around the country. And obviously, how are you going to afford that? without increasing the participation costs of there. So I think costs are definitely going to be increasing and I don't think they're gonna stop increasing for a while. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. We've seen it at in our own lives that everything is expensive and only getting more so. But yeah. I think it's also an interesting situation because you have more nonprofits and organizations that are trying to decrease the cost mm-hmm. barrier for youth. So it's really hard to tell because obviously costs are always going to go up, but yeah. it seems like we're also getting a lot more opportunities to reach those in lower income families and areas. And especially with you see a lot of professional teams like putting on camps for mm-hmm. things. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing to think about because obviously costs aren't just going to stop. You have to have money to pay for things. But I also think that we see a lot of people trying to help reduce the effects on people. Yeah. And I think there's a wider range of opportunities now. You know, there's going to be cheaper and more affordable things. And then, like, as I mentioned, there's going to be the more expensive things. And I think we are able to reach kind of a wider demographic and invasive mm-hmm. people today. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Okay, we're going to move into the last part of this episode, which we are now joined by our special guest, Sophia Abel, to get professional insight into the cost of sport participation and how it impacts our community. A little bit about Sophia, she's an NDSU sport management alumni who then went on to get her master's in sport management from the University of Texas. She currently oversees all youth sports programs and events as the athletics and events coordinator for the YMCA of Cass and Clay Counties, located right here in Fargo, North Dakota. Sophia, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's get into it. So, Sophia, leading up to your current position, what does your sports journey look like? Uh, growing up, I um, very short. <laughs> we grew up in a short family, and so that that did not leave very many options. Um, basketball is not an option. Volleyball is not an option. Um, so basically, it came down to being a gymnast and being a wrestler. Uh, I started gymnastics at the age of two, and continued that path until I was a senior in high school. Um, in between two and senior in high school, I also was a wrestler. I did a few years of wrestling due to an injury. Um, so gymnastics and wrestling kind of were the two sports I really focused on growing up. Um, and I also grew up with two very athletic siblings as well. Um, my brother is a four-time state champion in wrestling, and my sister is a three-time state qualifier in gymnastics as well in Minnesota. So growing up with all the siblings and me playing sports, um, and now that I am older, I can no longer do gymnastics, sadly to say. (laughs) However, (laughs) I do participate in CrossFit along with coaching it on the side of working at the Y. Um, So I spend several hours every week in the gym just at a a gymnastics gym, a CrossFit gym. Awesome. So, from what I understand, gymnastics is a pretty expensive sport. Would you agree with that? Completely. <laughs> so, I saw an article that said that gymnasts spend an average of $1,580 a year just on gymnastics. Does that sound right in your experience? I'd say that's a bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> bare minimum. Good to know. So, what was it like going from competing in such an expensive sport to now working at a nonprofit where you deal with a lot of low-income families? 
Yeah, so growing up, um, can't even tell you how much money my parents spent on gymnastics because you have anywhere between competitive gymnastics to high school gymnastics. High school gymnastics is cheaper, once say it's inexpensive, um, than mm-hmm. competitive gymnastics between leotards, practices, traveling, everything in between. Um, super, you know, expensive. And now working for a nonprofit, now, um, I realized that there are so many families that just don't have that money uh, but still want to participate in sports. And and it, all, it kind of opened my eyes up to, first, how lucky I was to be able to participate in those sports. Mm-hmm. But also, second, how much I really want to provide the opportunity of gymnastics as it taught me so many things growing up to lower-income families. Because I don't believe that it's fair for them to not be able to participate in a sport because it's too expensive. You know, our whole goal is to keep kids active and to keep them moving and to have them have the opportunity to try any sports that they want. Um, so that was a huge aspect of working for the Y. So you mentioned working with lower income families and things like that. Could you explain how the Y addresses this cost barrier and how the Y can help out with these lower income families regarding money issues? Yes. Um, so the why itself, um, for specifically for youth department, but also for memberships as well, um, if you are any on any type of pay assistance um, from anywhere from 2% to 100%, um, we can adjust based on like how much you make. Um, to be able to get you that membership at a lower rate. Um, what's really nice about youth and programs is if you're on any type of sort of scholarship, um, you get 50% off your program. For instance, all of our programs are $25, which first is unseen, unheard of, um, mm-hmm. for a four-week program, but you can split that in half, so the program comes down to $12.50 to participate in any sport, and enrichment program from gymnastics, dance, cheerleading, football, soccer, all the way to STEM and Lego to art, music. Um, we just want to give the kids the opportunity that they might not ex- be able to experience anywhere else. Um, so if we can make that as cheap as possible through offering discounts at scholarship rates, we sure can. Awesome. So we really appreciate your insight on this topic and explaining how this works at a local level, as a lot of us are in the area, at least for now. Um, Before we wrap this up, we have some questions we wanted to ask you. I mean, you were in our shoes just a few years ago, so we got some questions for you. Uh, The first one is, what is the hardest or most difficult thing that your job has taught you? That's a very tough question. I would say the most difficult thing that is that job has taught me is you can't pour your emotions into everything. You know, you you always have to have a sturdy wall. You have to put your foot down when you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's okay. You got to make those emotional connections with people around you. However, you know, to build, to grow, you have to be able to, you know, put your emotions to the side and be able to um, say no or yes, depending on the situation, and basically stand tall. Yeah, it's definitely something you've been teaching me since I've, since I've been working <laughs> with you. Um, moving to kind of the opposite side of that, what about your job brings you the most joy? 
Honestly, the thing that brings me the most joy would have to be seeing the smile on our members' faces at the Y, um, knowing that what we've done and all of the hard work and paperwork and curriculum and whatever, all of it, just all of it put together and seeing a kid smile and leave and being able to like, bye, see you later, thank you, give you a hug, it is so worth it at the end of all of it. Yeah, that's awesome. So the last kind of general question, as like you said, you were once where we were. So do you have any advice for those who want to work in the nonprofit sports sector, even just sports in general? Specifically nonprofit, um, try it. Uh, what I did when I was in your shoes is I got my foot in a little bit of each door. Nonprofit, parks and recreation, pro sports, a little bit of everything and kind of figure out what your niche is. You know, I never thought not I was going to end up with nonprofit, um, and I did, and I learned to love it. And it's a little more challenging, um, just because you don't have as much money to do it, but it definitely advances your creativity. And if you like being create, being, or having a creative mind, go for it. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this segment of the episode, Sophia. Thank you so much for your time and for allowing us to pick your brain about these different things from pay to play and how it affects us here in Fargo. We're back again with our This Day in Sports spotlight for the episode. So we have a fairly recent one this week with the event happening just two years ago. So on July 27th, 2021, Simone Biles withdrew from the women's team final at the Tokyo Games. She stated that she was stepping back to focus on her mental health, which really added to the growing conversation on athletes' mental health that we had really seen in that year. This came just a few months after Naomi Osaka chose not to compete in the French Open due to mental health. And since this, we've really seen a lot of athletes becoming very involved advocates for mental health, for athletes specifically as they're all in athletes and it's not something that's talked about very much, but also for mental health in general for all people. That is going to conclude today's discussion of the cost of sport participation on Sport Shorts. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new. From all of us at Sport Shorts, this is Laura Schering and Savannah Green. We thank you for joining us today. And we would also like to thank our special guest, Sophia, for taking the time to share her story with us. Be sure to tune in next time for more sports stories from the NDSU Sport Management Program. Bye. Bye.